and welcome to What's the Story Ghost? I'm your host, Annette. Ah, I'm Stephen. And today we are on episode 43 and take seven of this intro. <laughs> on, I one. scribbled out 45. <laughs> 45. <laughs> <laughs> the next episode. Stephen. Annette. Have you ever heard of Whaley House? Whaley House, it's the story of a whale in a house. No, I haven't heard of it. I've also got my exit jingle ready now. <laughs> then that's good. That's good. That that's a short story. Bye. We crack on. Crackity crack. In two thousand and five, Life magazine called Whaley House the most haunted house in America. When I read that, I thought, well, that's a bit of a bold statement, don't you think? And then I started to do the research for the episode, and I got about fifteen minutes in, and I thought I should mind my own goddamn business. Before I did the research for this episode, I also assumed this story was from the late 16, early 1700s. It was not. The home was built in 1857. With its rolling hills, alpine mountains and desolate desert expanse, San Diego's East County is reminiscent of the Wild West when cowboys, pioneers and prospectors set their sights on this vast frontier. I'll give you the bare bones of the Whaley history before they moved to San Diego. Thomas Whaley was born in New York City in 1823. He was the seventh child of a family of 10. His family were of Scots-Irish origin. On January 1st, 1849, Whaley took over his father's successful business relationships. While the California gold rush was underway, he traveled to San Francisco to conduct business. His success led him to open his own store in Montgomery Street and build a two-story home with views of San Francisco Bay. A fire set by arsonists destroyed all of his business buildings in May 1851, postponing his plans to marry Anna Eloise Delaunay, the love of his life, because someone didn't like seeing him succeed. After that, he travelled to San Diego in September 1851 to make enough money to marry his love. Two years later, Whaley returned to New York and married Anna. The two returned to California together on December 7th, 1853, arriving in San Diego. The Whaley's moved into their new home August 22nd, 1857, known now as Whaley House. The family could not have known the tragedy and sorrow that lay ahead of them. While I was reading you the bare bones of the Whaley history, the land in which the Whaley home was built was cursed. In 1852, a 6'4 man known as Yankee Jim and two other men were convicted of stealing a boat. Though it was thought the men had committed the more serious crime of murder, there was not enough evidence to convict, so they threw the book at them. More so Yankee Jim, because he was seen as the bully who lured the other men as their ringleader. They were sentenced to a year in prison each, but Yankee Jim was sentenced to death by hanging. Why is this relevant, you ask? Because not only was Thomas Whaley a witness of the hanging, but while Yankee Jim was being hung, from a tree not tall enough for his neck to snap, but not short enough for him to stand on anything other than his tippy toes, therefore dying a slow, painful and cruel death, Thomas Whaley's thoughts were on the land in which the execution took place. He bet he could swipe up the piece of land for a steal, as no one would want to buy land where executions were held. And he was right. He bought the prime piece of land for a song, and three years later the family moved in. He built a one-story brick structure using bricks from his factory in town. He intended to build a rat-proof granary, but it failed to be rat-proof, tricky little rodents. 
so we renovated the space to be used as commercial space and a general store on the ground floor and built a second floor to be a residence for his family. By 1857, Thomas and Anna had three children, Francis, Thomas and Anna, all living happily in their upscale home, but it wouldn't last. By 1858, Thomas had moved his store from the ground floor under the home to the plaza in the town, and again, someone burnt down his store. But worse still, his 18-month-old son died from scarlet fever. It's said that children who die from illness tend to root themselves where they felt most comfortable, so baby Thomas never really left the home. It's said that his cries, or usual baby noises, could still be heard in his parents' bedroom. Feeling an overwhelming amount of emotion, I'm sure, the family decided it was best to move back to San Francisco, while they rented the home in San Diego out to Borders. Thomas and Anna would then welcome three more children, George, Violet and Lily and Corrine. The family lived a good life for 10 years, minus one year when Thomas was called away, but it's like tragedy was following this family. When the 1868 San Francisco earthquake hit and they had to move back to San Diego. The financial blunder with the San Diego cancels left the family in a tight budget, but they managed with the help of Thomas's brother from 1874 to 1879, which made Thomas very difficult to live with. Fed up relying financially on others, Thomas went back to New York and then to San Francisco looking for work. In 1881, Thomas rejoined his family. In 1882, saw both his daughters married. Anna married the love of her life, cousin John, but Violet, her marriage turned sour very quickly. I'm not sure how she came to know him, but Violet fatally shot herself in the chest after her marriage proved to be a sham. The man she married was a con artist and ran off during their honeymoon with a sizable fortune. Thomas found his daughter dying and took her into the back of the parlour where she passed away 15 minutes later. She was only 22 years old. Her suicide note read, Mad from life's history, swift to death's mystery, glad to be hurled anywhere, anywhere out of this world. Today, people have seen a young woman on the second floor in the back room. They have said they felt a profound feeling of sorrow when in that room, which is believed to be Violet's bedroom. Lillian Whaley was engaged at the time of her sister's tragic suicide, but her fiancé couldn't take the scandal anymore and broke off the engagement. Eventually, Thomas Whaley decided that enough was enough and built a single-storey framed house for the remaining family members elsewhere in town. Meanwhile, the old Whaley house remained vacant and fell into disrepair. On December 14, 1890, Thomas Whaley died due to ill health, but his son Francis took over his business when he retired, so I imagine he took some comfort from that. Francis came back once again to the family home, where he started and finished a restoration. In 1912, Francis got the rest of the family to come home, with the exception of his young sister Anna, who had died in 1905. Anna, his mother, his youngest sister Lillian Corinne, and his brother George enjoyed living together again, but it was short-lived, only a year. Anna died in the house February 24, 1913. Francis, the oldest of the Whaley brood, and the person who brought the family back to their home, died in the house November 19th. 1914. After almost staying in the house for 16 years, George died in the home in 1928. 
leaving Lillian living there alone until 1953 when she suffered from a bad fall and a growing case of dementia. There have been many unidentified apparitions in the home over the years. At the time the home was occupied by Lillian, she rented the rooms out to various tenants, so I think we can assume these apparitions could very well be them. Some have seen a little girl in the dining room. There was a record of a small neighbourhood girl, Annabelle Washbourne, who ran into the clothesline, got the line caught around her throat, and was choking when she was rescued, but it was too late. She was brought into the kitchen barely alive where she died. The home at the moment is laid out the way it would have been during its early years, including while it was used as a courthouse. A woman has often been seen in the courtroom, and some say the corner of the jury box is a spiritual vortex. Not all experiences are felt by those seeking them. 30 years ago, a police officer was called to the home after a concerned citizen called with reports of a woman crying outside the Whaley House. The officer came onto the property and saw, quote, a woman at the back of the house crying. He reported that she was wearing period clothing. The officer asked, quote, ma'am, are you all right? She turned to face him, smile, and when he shone his flashlight on her, she just disappeared. This report was not made straight away. The officer only revealed these details in his confidential retirement letter decades later. The last two ghosts will comment on are Thomas and Anna Whaley themselves. Makes sense though. They loved their home and obviously now are continuing to enjoy it. Thomas has been seen on the upstairs landing wearing a frock coat and pantaloons. Some reports say he blows smoke in visitors' faces. Anna's visits are a little sadder, as one of the tour guides can attest to that. One night, while he was locking up Whaley House, Victor Santanator, a tour guide, was punching in the code to set the alarm when he heard a woman say, Why are you here? Poor Victor was so spooked, he ran out of the house without completing the code, setting off the alarm. The police arrived in response to the alarm going off, and an officer who entered the property claimed to see a woman in the parlour, wearing a green dress, but she disappeared when backup arrived. I mentioned this in the last episode. I don't think ghosts have much of a concept of time, so she probably didn't recognise Victor and genuinely just wanted to know what he was doing in her home. I mean, sure, ghosts might see the streets and cars and people's clothing change, but if your only interest is to live peacefully in your home with your family, then you're probably not spending much time looking out your window at the world going by, even if the world going by is looking in. What do you think of that story? Uh, there was a lot going on in that story. There, there, yeah, yeah. There, there's definitely no shortage of ghosts in Whaley House now, to mm-hmm. be fair. I did pick up on one comment, and you, went, and you read the contents or the information from the, quote, confidential retirement letter yeah. it wasn't that confidential no that's what I was thinking I was just kind of like okay I think is it should this be just like... called retirement letter <laughs> or confidential letter that we somehow let slip but isn't that crazy though like to be that afraid of what you saw or that doubtful of what you saw that you just don't want to tell anybody and you just don't make the report I'm, I'm sure that he, because he's written it down on paper I'm sure he he believes it he knows he saw mm. he, he believes that he saw he believes that he saw spiritual Apparition, apparition, yeah. spiritual ghosty thing, and he's like, if I tell the lads this yeah. back in the locker room, oh for sure, I'm gonna get whipped with a policeman's towel. But that's a 
Okay, that's not exactly what I would expect, but that's what I would expect. It's kind of like I was saying during the Travis Walton episode, the reason that I'm probably most afraid of ever having an alien encounter is because who the hell would believe me? And it would be the same if we had some sort of ghostly... Like when we went to Crumlin Road Jail and, and one of the one of the kids just start randomly laughing when we walked out towards the graveyard. I was like, we're going to tell people this and they're just not going to believe us. They're going to think it was coincidental. I think that's what most people's issue is. And that's why they're kind of like, oh, I don't believe in any of that mumbo jumbo. But yet you won't stand inside a fairy ring. I yeah, but it's all drugs. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Have you any characters for me? I have three people that you might want to consider. Okay. Thomas. Thomas's wife, Anna. Yes. And a daughter that shot herself, who's now a ghost. Olivia, yeah. Uh, so, Thomas. Yes. Actor called Michael Penny. Penna? Do you know who he is? For, uh, from Ant-Man. He, that's one of yes, the Yes, books. yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. I love him. He's very good. He's he? very good. Um, Was he in uh, the movie with the guy in a... Yes. Yes, he was. He, he was. was. You're yeah, yeah, but it's the same one. <laughs> Mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta be Penny Bates. Yeah. Oh, they'd be so weird together, but it would probably work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, the age, aging of all these characters is all over the place. Oh, it's superficial uh, anyway. But the, the daughter, gotta give El Selma Hayek. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. God, she has a beautiful crying face. That's such a sad part of this story, though, because it's like, it, that just goes to show that, like, the time back then was so different in comparison to now. It's just, it's, it's weird how times have evolved for women, because, like, he robbed from her. He robbed... I imagine what is essentially her dairy. And uh, I've heard two conflicting stories. Uh, the first story that I heard was that he was a con man and that he ran off with the money. The second story that I heard was that he had said to her after the wedding, listen, I'm not who I said I was. I don't have as much money as I ha- I, I told you I had. I'm not as well off. I'm not as respectable a businessman. But I really want to make this work and I want to make a name for myself and I want you to come on that journey with me. But her father wouldn't have any of it. So her father was actually the one who sent him away. That story, I could understand more her being so distraught that she would take her own life rather than the embarrassment side of it. So I didn't know which story was real. I'm glad I read both of them because it's kind of like they're both devastating. But if it was a case that he really wanted to try, I'm kind of like, oh, that's actually really sad. But then at the same time, if we had a young girl, I'd be just kind of like, eh, get the boat, lad. Like, you told us you had a business in such and such in a house and yada yada. And where's the yacht? We we already said that you could marry her so we could borrow the yacht. You're describing Aladdin. <laughs> <laughs> this chap comes up and goes, that's a nice looking broad. I think I'll see if I can get with her. Oh, she doesn't pay much attention to me when I've just got my ratty looking monkey <laughs> and a half a loaf of bread that I've given to the children. So I'll just dance around, rub off a lamp, Become magical, get a joined elephant, learn how to sing. My carpet can fly now. Look at me, a Prince Ali, happy as the la da 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 la. Don't pretend like you don't know the words off by heart. Now listen, go the on, don't go, know on go on. And then I'm like, hey, princess, I am Prince Ababa Prince Ali. Hey, princess, I'm Prince Ali. Here I am. I've got all this stuff. I've got giraffes. I've got magic. I have a sense of humor, and my carpet can fly. Let's go sing a song across the sky. Okay, I love you. Also, I'm poor. Ah, but I still love you because you saved my life. Ooh. This is such a long dialogue. I love us. You're so committed. <laughs> you're, you're really, you're, you're, you haven't missed anything. What? It, it's, that's the synopsis of the story. Should have prepared the leave cert. 
I have to, I have to, I have to say I wrote that particular line. I believe it was from. I, I I'm, wait, I'm about to say Eddie Murphy, but it wasn't. It was, it was, <laughs> Eddie Murphy doesn't know what the name. Eddie is. Murphy playing Tommy Tiernan. <laughs> Tommy Tiernan said that <laughs> about something else, but the joke still carries. That's a good lineup. I like it. I yeah. like it. Yeah. Um, Do we need to? We skipped over Salima. Do we need to cut out a few movies that she was been in for the audience? I, I reckon we don't need to. No, I don't think we need to. But like, to. obviously, the first one you're going to go to is Grown Ups. Well, yeah. Yeah. Desperados in there. Just the dawn. I don't think I've seen Frida, but the two last two I called out were a pretty, pretty big, pretty big hitters. I wouldn't be the biggest fan of Adam Sandler, but. I have to admit, and I'd love to know if the listeners agree with me on this, because I know it's not remotely in relation to the podcast at all. But can I, can, can you back me up or do you disagree completely? The only reason Adam Sandler has done well in movies and hasn't done well in movies when he doesn't have them is the female counterpart. How can you go wrong oh, when you're working good. alongside Drew Barrymore in Fifty First States in... Uh, blended. He's he's actually been in movies with her a bunch of times. He's worked with Jennifer Anderson. He's worked with Jennifer Anderson. Every single movie that he has been in with a really good female character has done well. And then you have movies where no, no, just stop that. I was gonna say, uh, with a lawyer. I think she started. There was a, there were some Hooters involved. Some of the people worked in Hooters. <laughs> uh, but happy. Hang on a second, Terry. You just gave me the whole dialogue. <laughs> of Aladdin, and you can't give me a little synopsis of an adult movie. What's the that's name of the animated? I don't know. I've never seen it. Is it the one with one of the Sprouse kids in it? Oh, who's the Sprouse kid? The twins. The same twins that are in Friends. Friends. That one, yeah. Yeah. Big Daddy. Big Daddy. Right, that's a great film. I was going to say there is no uh, female counterpart. Switch. Click. 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 Who's the female character in that? Oh, I don't know. Just... Fabulous. Oh, Katie Beckinsale. <laughs> Happy Gilmore. He also. I can't stand that movie. Uh, yeah, I think it's great because it has golf in it. Uh, but there is a... he does get the girl at the end. It's a bit weird. That's my boy. I did not like that movie. Did we watch that movie? I watched it while I was on maternity leave. Nah, all time favorite. One of my all time favorite movies gets the girl in the end. What? The Water Boy. You're looking at me going, how do you like that child? <laughs> well. Let's go back to Grown Ups. How do you like that trash? Grown Ups has a massive cast. That's how. You, you've you got right. let's Chris Rock. Trick. You've got, what's his name? We struggled with his name last week as well. I don't know who Paul Blart is. James Gordon? No. no. <laughs> James Gordon. Why are we so bad with names? Was it last week? Kevin. Kevin. James. Kevin James. Yeah, not Kevin Hart. No, not that. And I wouldn't mind. It was Kevin Hart that helped me remember what his name actually was. Did he call you? Hey! <laughs> hey, it's Kevin! I specifically grabbed this so that I could show you some pictures, because I know you like pictures. I'm a picture guy. Well, I don't think you're going to like any of these, though, to be fair. Yeah, we've already so these, <laughs> these are ghost encounters that people have actually submitted themselves to the Whaley House Museum Ga- website. There's a gas lamp in there, just saying gas. It's right outside the door. Now, yeah. some of these are, yeah, all right, whatever. It's a bit of blur and a bit of this and a bit of this one freaks me the hell out, though. So what I'm looking at is what looks like the inside of, I don't, see, it's back in the days when the dark room that you would develop yeah. film in. 
Um, and then on the right hand side there is just this figure and the longer you look at it the more you see the sunken eyes and the sunken mouth and it's just absolutely terrifying you can see the little lace lapel around the neck mm -hmm. it looks like one of those period outfits these are all fine that's probably just a speck of dust and someone took a picture with the flash on it's this one the mask with the face in the background and then ones that are nefarious, like just, it's just a picture of nothing. It's literally just this, someone is obviously standing behind the tour guide, is taking a picture of the group that they are with. And there's just this orb sitting on the lady's back. The ladies, the tour guide, there's just an orb sitting there, just minding its own business. And I'm like, no, not okay with that. I don't like it when people take pictures and they should be lovely family photos, but there's some dude photobombing in the background. And I'm like... Well, if you were a ghost and couldn't leave the, the, the boundary wall of the house, like, <laughs> you have what to would you Jenny do on it? All you could do is photobomb. I was like, what do you do? Well, I photobombed. Have you had enough of that? Yeah, yeah. freaking me out. I fell down a rabbit hole this week. Would you like to know the rabbit hole I fell down? I fell down a rabbit hole because I was reading up about the earthquake that made the Whaley family have to move back from San Francisco. And then I started looking at this, and then I started looking at that, and then I fell onto this website six historical heroes who did awful things that nobody talks about and that's the kind of history I want to get into like the horrid part and the haunted part and the, the icky part that nobody really wants to teach anymore well let's see if they're interesting <laughs> okay so I have short ish mm. I only have six it looks like it's a lot more uh, George Washington so humble that he refused a salary that's well known Instead, what he did was he took out an expense account that he intentionally exploited the crap out of. In seven months, Washington spent $6,000 or 75 times the yearly wage of a private on booze alone. He billed the Continental Congress 3,800 for his retreat to New Jersey and spent 120 times the monthly salary of a private on a saddle for a horse. He spent 120 times the monthly, the salary. monthly salary of a private officer. Oh. I thought it was, yeah, okay. Um, all in all, he spent about £450,000 in $1780, which would be four, $4.5 million today. But that was during, just during his eight-year stint as a commander-in-chief of the army. So, yes, he was fabulous at the good things that he did, but he was also not so great. Winston Churchill, guilty of it as well often regarded the greatest prime minister in British history, but everyone tends to forget. In 1943, one of the worst famines in history was raging in Bengal re in the Bengal region of British India. This was in the middle of World War II, and Churchill made one of the probably worst decisions uh, by diverting food from India to supply the British forces. Now, you're thinking, oh, well, it's to fight Hitler, it's, it's all for a good cause. But it's not, there was no shortage of food for the troops at the time. Churchill refused offers from the US and Canada for food supplements. He just diverted the food for no reason. There's no on, idea why. Standing on his own pride. Yeah, he didn't want to take handouts from big, bold countries like Canada and America. And I'm like, yeah, but you starved half of a country. Uh, I just, mm. Alexander Graham Bell. Do you know who he is? Telephone man. Yes. He's often uh, confused with Thomas Edison. And the reason I took down that caption is because I am also very guilty of doing that. I usually get the Thomas telephone. Edison being be light bulb man. No, I know that now. The only reason my dad used to be able to say to me, right, okay, but Alexander Graham Bell, what noise does a phone make? And I was like, oh. Ring. Alexander Graham, ring. <laughs> no, 
Okay, give us more. My dad made sense, okay? I know, I knew that one too, but I didn't. <laughs> um, so yeah, he, he was the inventor of the telephone, but everyone forgets. When Bell wasn't busy inventing the telephone, he was involved in a bizarre campaign to eliminate deaf people. Now, you can crack as many jokes as you want and say that they were not his target audience for the phone, but it was way deeper than that. He, he actually thought that deaf people would take over America like some kind of hearing impaired Illuminati. In his ongoing campaign against the deaf menace, Bell personally convinced state legislator after state legislator to ban sign language in schools, shut down schools for deaf, and bar deaf teachers from teaching deaf students. His hope was that all deaf people would just become great lip readers and then fully integrate themselves into society. This makes no sense seeing as deafness isn't usually congenital and even having two deaf parents doesn't mean that you are going to be deaf yourself. Uh, he was mad into eugenics. So okay. do you know the way when somebody finds out, okay, I'll be honest with you, this was this was geared very triggerly towards one type of demographic and it had nothing to do with impairments or disabilities or anything like that. I, it made no sense that he got this into his head because it's not congenital, but whatever. Ulysses S. Grant. In a mere 15 years, the now legendary Grant spectacularly went from being an alcoholic to being the President of the United States. Though he mostly sucked at being President, he's always remembered fondly for his work freeing the slaves and saving the Union. But everyone forgets. President Grant was concerned that blacks and whites could never be able to live together peacefully, so he concocted an insane plan to buy the Dominican Republic for 1.6 million and send all 4 million freed black people from the United States there. Because while he was sympathetic enough to free them from slavery, he wasn't quite willing to let them run around interacting with white people. So, oh, I know. The next one I have there is W.E.B. Du Bois. Du Bois correct me if I'm wrong, uh, was an early American uh, civil rights leader, so one would expect the man to be a walking, talking fountain of tolerance, but everyone forgets a bizarre five-month-long trip to Nazi Germany in 1936 that was funded by a Nazi on the condition that Du Bois not criticised their treatment of Jews, which should have probably been a red flag. He was so pleased to be able to report that he experienced no racial discrimination, which isn't that much of a surprise considering the visit was orchestrated as an effort to cover up said racial discrimination. And he spent years backpedaling on the fact that he said that everything was great. Um, and then the next one there is Tibetan monks. What do you think of when you think of Tibetan monks? Orange robes, cross knees, not a lot of food, and big stairs going up to their house. And what's that guy's name? Dalai Lama. No, he's more famous than the Dalai Lama. He talks with his arse. <laughs> Oh, Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura is in the second one. He starts off in Mountain's Curse. It does. And then he has a slinky that goes all the way it down does. the face and it stops at the end. That's what I think it's about. It stops at the very, very last one. Yeah. It doesn't get to the end. Uh, before being subjugated by China, Tibet was a peaceful country led for centuries by Buddhist monks. But there were only two classes of people in Tibet. The monks, known as lamas, who lived in luxury and serfs. 
Is that the right way of pronouncing that? Serfs. Serfs. Yeah. Uh, known as literally everyone else, who had no rights and basically lived only to serve the llamas. I did not know that they basically had slaves. And the llamas weren't necessarily the kind, benevolent hippies that Hollywood would want you to believe. Taxes in Tibet were about as high as you could expect from a country in which every individual member of government lived in their own massive castle. So those big things that you were talking about with the big massive steps going up to them, that's just yeah. one person's house. The llamas put a tax on literally everything. There was a tax for being born. There was a tax for, I don't know, keeping animals, attending festivals, leaving the town. There was a hidden price tag on everything. And even if you were homeless and begging on the streets, you had to pay a begging tax. Those who couldn't pay their taxes had the option of starving to death or getting a loan out from one of the monasteries with interest rates that made loan sharks look like philanthropists. I love that word, philanthropist. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's, a, it's a cool word. Uh, Tony Stark says it, but that's not why I love it. Uh, if serfs defaulted on their debts, broke the law, or attempt to flee, then they had the Tibetan torture chambers to look forward to. T Tibetan torture chambers. It's hard to say. No, it's not even that. I just didn't know these things existed. Like, oh, anyway. Uh, Buddhism clearly disallowed the death penalty, but the lamas found loopholes in the dogma that made things like eye gouging, amputation, and tongue removal fair game. Oh yeah, fair game. Fair game. Way to describe something there. So this is the kind of stuff that I'd love to get into that it's like hidden history. Do you know that kind mm, of way? It's like stuff in the background where you're kind of like, okay, that's not what I grew up listening to in school. No, in fairness. I had a really cool history teacher, so what I do remember is most of, you know, her wedding plans. I don't really remember a lot of actual history. I remember a lot of Irish history from my primary school, because I went to an all-Irish primary school. But when I was reading through this, I was just like, did you know that Oklahoma had a massive riot where literally the whole town was completely just burnt to ashes? Sorry, not the whole town, just the divided, segregated part of town. And up until 2020, there was not a memorial not a plaque, not a tree planted to mark anything about the, they said, oh, it was probably about 60. No, sorry, they said, oh, it was probably about maybe 26, 27 people that died. It wasn't, it was anywhere from 100 to 300 people that died because the white people, and I say that with disdain in my mouth, but the white people were a bit pissed off that the black people had gone and made their own community, run up their own businesses, built their own properties, owned anything for themselves. This is clearly a subject I'm a little bit on the passionate side about. But I I was like, I'm sorry, the, the, what, the whole city burnt down and why are we not learning about this? I just thought it was fascinating. I was just like, this is disgusting. But it's it's obviously now something that I can take the onus on to try and learn myself. Because how are we supposed to learn from anything or how are we supposed to not make mistakes again if we don't learn from them? So that was a very passionate rabbit hole I fell down this week. Yes, little, yes it was. A little on the intense side, was it? Mm, sorry. Good. Very sorry. Um, do you have any questions for me? No. All good? Oh, Ruby. Say words. Yay, you got it right. You should jump to like exit jingle. So thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you have any questions regarding this episode or any other episode, feel free to DM us on our Instagram. It's what's the story ghost. What's the story ghost at gmail.com is our email if you have any stories that you would like to share with us. And those are all my words. Eggs and jingle? Eggs and jingle! Eggs and jingle. What was my eggs and jingle? Already? I don't remember. You have so many. Did I do all the world already? No. Eggs and jingle. That's not a whole new world. <laughs> Bye. Bye. No, we have to be like butter, remember? Butter. Bye. <laughs>